Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Scott McAlpine on how the gospel equips Christians and churches to face the future with confidence. But the Christian can know because of the gospel and because of what Jesus has done, that we are actually future-proof. It doesn't mean to say we don't have to go through the things we're going through, but God's people, the church, have got a framework that can give them a confidence moving forward. Scott McAlpine, next. There's no question we live in a time of rapid cultural change, when Christian views are often seen as outdated and even dangerous. This may leave some believers anxious about the future. Australian writer and former pastor Steve McAlpine is with us to remind us God is in control, and he'll encourage us to live wholeheartedly for Christ and face the challenges of the future with trust in God. Steve McAlpine is author of the new book, Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps on Changing. Steve, tell us what's behind Future Proof. Why'd you write it? Yeah, well, I wrote Future Proof uh, really as a follow-up to my first book, which was called Being the Bad Guys, which was looking at how did Christians get to the situation where the cultural pressure was on them? How did that happen? And really what this book is about, well, where's it going? And uh, what I'm saying in the book is that uh, the future is not as mapped out in the immediate as we might hope at times. And I think the pandemic showed us that, that we had our plans laid and rapid discontinuous change happens to us. And Christians are quite, uh, along with the rest of the culture in the West, quite nervous about where things are going. We see, uh, we see war issues, we see politics going in difficult directions. Uh, we see all these seismic changes about what it means to be a human, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be uh, a, a gendered being. And uh, we see housing crises and we see all these things and we get nervous and we get anxious. But the Christian can know because of the gospel and because of what Jesus has done that we are actually future-proof. It doesn't mean to say we don't have to go through the things we're going through, but God's people, the church, have got a framework that can give them a confidence moving forward. And I think that's why I wrote it, to give us confidence. You uh, refer to the Church of Back to the Future, and obviously you've got the, you've got the movie. What, what, what are some of the, yeah. um, some of the concepts you, you, you drew out of the movie? And I used it as fun, but with a deep meaning, that if you were to go forward extrapolate 30 years forward, say a big car from Back to the Future, the DeLorean sports car ended in your church driveway tomorrow or Sunday in 2024, and the a minister who you recognize is, slight, is your minister, but how's he coming <laughs> from the future, uh, jumps out and says, I want to show you what it looks like to live faithfully and fruitfully as a Christian in 2054. You'd jump in, right? You'd want to know. But we don't get that opportunity but we can see trends. We can see the direction that things are going. So you want to start putting things into place now for what 2054 might look like. That just makes common sense. And I think part of what I wrote in the book was to say, in light of the biblical understanding of God in control of all of history, how do Christians navigate history in the rapid discontinuous change when things keep on changing? How do you do that without bunkering down 
in, in a hideaway or giving up altogether. And that's probably where I'd be leaning into. So we're looking at things like what technology is going to change a lot and uh, how we relate to other humans is changing already, uh, issues of polarisation, all those sorts of things. How do we navigate those as Christians? And what does the Bible have to say that can help us in those processes? Uh, one question, uh, Steve, is our two cultures, you're in Australia, we're in the United States, we're both in what's considered the Western part of the world. Can you talk about that, how how our cultures are similar, but maybe perhaps how there are some areas where not everything is going to be um, a match? Yeah, I mean, you know, Winston Churchill famously said about the UK and the US that they were the same nation divided by a common language or whatever, you know, the, the way he said it. So there are things in the West that are similar. Uh, how we view humans, um, expressive individualism that I'm made, uh, I'm a self-made person. And that's, I think that comes from the United States more than it comes from, say, the UK or Australia. But that's in common, I think, across the West, that uh, we have a lot of churn in politics in the West at the moment, because I think in the West, uh, US, UK, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, where there's a deep suspicion of institutions, and that's only going to ramp up. And you're seeing that with the churn in politics. The US has a stronger narrative around that than perhaps Australia does. Christianly, Australia has always been highly secular, even though it's got a religious dusting over the top. We've never had the same... <clears throat> Our understanding of religion in our setting, even though America is the place that gave us the real division between the church and the state, the church flourished in America in a way that it perhaps hasn't in Australia, and we have a different framework of thinking about it. So I think those things are different. But the same things affect us as Christians because it's a global world now. Information travels really quickly. Ideas travel really quickly. And influencers are the way we are shaped these days as much than by institutions. So I think that's going to happen. So you're seeing the same things in Australia as you see in America around identity, around critical theory, around all of these big issues that are asking questions about who we are and where do we come from and where are we going. I think they're the same. Well, your book is titled Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps on Changing. What do you mean by future proof? Uh, it doesn't mean that we've got it all sorted out in the here and now. But what I'm saying is, as you look at Scripture, you see a sovereign God who's in control, who has, in every cultural setting in the Bible, uh, given his people a framework for how they should live for him, whether the result will be ill for them or whether the result will be good for them. The cross and resurrection of Jesus and his uh, ascension and his imminent return, whether imminent means tomorrow or, you know, a thousand years' time, uh, is the guarantee of the future for us. So Christians living in the here and now are citizens of the here and now as well as citizens of the age to come. And that gives a different perspective to how we deal with the complexities of this age. It means they're not totalizing and they don't mean, need to drive us to fear, but it also means that we can live in such a way together as Christians that we don't have to self-serve. It's not all about us. It's uh, Jesus is our sort of... A true north that we're heading towards and that shapes us very differently to how the rest of the culture is going because I think the questions of meaning and purpose in life are huge questions in the western world at the moment that take Christianity out of the equation people don't quite know how to answer those questions not in full ways there's a deep anxiety in our culture that we haven't been able to overcome well in, in terms of future proof we know 
by the scripture, by the end of the Bible, the end of the book of Revelation, that the future of the church, the future of individual believers is set, regardless of how we get there. Yeah, and I think the first disciples realized that when Jesus was raised from the dead. If that's true, then everything in their life from that point uh, referenced that. We didn't wait till John wrote Revelation on Patmos to figure out where it was going. We know from what Paul says about the resurrection and the new creation. We know that Peter says uh, all these elements will be burned up and there's a new heavens and a new earth. And if that's so, how should we live? And, and we see those things happening in the, in the epistles that the Christians living in the Roman Empire, which was probably uh, more down and more dirty than you know, the US Empire or the Australian Empire ever has been, uh, they had confidence at this, at, even in the midst of that, that God was in control and had their future in control. And the way they lived their lives was became palpably different to the pagan world around them. And I think that's our opportunity today as well. Well, you, uh, your book, uh, Future Proof, is looking at trends, and where would you want to start? I mean, your book obviously goes through certain ones, but if, if in our limited amount of time, what, what trend would you want to begin with that's a current trend, trend lines yeah. going into the future, and, and what, we, what we should really be about now? Uh, I think the main trend I've seen is uh, polarization mm. and deep difference, where each side of the polarization uh, narrative sees itself, whether it's left or right, progressive or uh, conservative or whatever you want to terms you want to use, they see themselves very strongly as the vision of the future towards which we must go. So the trend is that if you take God out of the public square, something else will replace him as the transcendent moment. And so politics has become that and has become very hot religiously in the West which you're going to find that people will say our vision on the left or our vision on the right is the right vision. Our opponents aren't just wrong, they're bad. And I think you're seeing that polarisation trend happening and that's critical to understanding where we're at at the moment. And I think you're also seeing the trend towards um, uh, an internal life. Uh, technology will allow us to live more and more immersively and away from other people. And I think that's going to continue. So at the same time that you don't want to be around other people because of politics, <laughs> you, you don't have to be because of technology. And those th things are going to happen more and more. The church that will model something different to the world will be able to bring people who don't agree with everything together and bring them together to spend time with each other. Life on life, eyeball to eyeball, deep community. So one of the trends we're seeing is a fracturing of our social um, fabric of it, uh, mediating institutions where people gather to uh, get together and to volunteer. Those things are shattering in our culture. I think the church is going to fill a community void that many people are looking, looking for. What would you suggest uh, the, the church, just I realize we're talking in, in general terms, but uh, believers, local churches, be about to address that, that issue of polarization. As you say, you see it in the church, you see it in the culture. Somebody does something you don't like, and they're yeah, cancel them. Cancel. Yeah. Well, ironically, the center of the gospel of the of forgiveness. What does it look like to offer grace and forgiveness to someone who actually doesn't deserve it? Because at the moment, when you get cancelled, you have to try and prove yourself again all the time, and it's never enough. Mm -hmm. right? You're never coming back. And if you have a forgiveness culture, I mean, forgiveness is the church's superpower because 
Jesus forgave us when we had sinned against him. And to offer forgiveness to people is is a huge issue. And to be a forgiving community will show up a cancel culture where I think lots of people aren't hard left or hard right. They're sort of in the middle going, I just want to keep my head down and because yeah. uh, I could get it cut off. And yeah. they're confused looking, is that the future? Because I don't like either of those extremes. And the church is sitting there going, actually, we want to show you a better way of what it looks like to live where we have deep difference and we have issues to deal with, but we have at the centre a gospel message of Jesus who forgave those who didn't deserve to be forgiven. And that will flow out. And I think forgiveness is going to be a critical issue going forward. And that is how we, we relate to our fellow believers and the, and the culture. Well, it should be, right? So uh, the, that's be. the key. Yeah. If you're coming, if you're going to get to 2054 and it's a very unforgiving culture, the place to start forgiving in the church isn't in 10 years' time. It's today. It's like, we, we, that's a point for the, I think the times are a, a good time for the church to take an inventory and saying, are we doing the things that we want other people to be doing by 2054? Will we be seen as a forgiving community? Will we be seen as a holy community, a generous community? Well, maybe we should start now. And I think that's probably what I'd be saying at every point. If it's a polarizing culture, then we start dialing down that, dialing that down now. If it's a culture where we don't want to spend time with other people, the church can find ways to spend rich times with each other and model that to the culture. You touched on it briefly at the beginning. You certainly touch on it in your book. And of course, we see it uh, around the world, that of anxiety. I think you talk about a, a tsunami of anxiety that has hit everybody, uh, Christian or not, uh, your wife is, I think you said, is a psychologist uh, in, in your mm-hmm. book, and that's one, and she, she uh, confirms that, that that's what she's seeing yes. in, in her practice. C- can you talk about that? How can the church, if, if, if this is any kind of a trend line, if this is something that we're going to see continuing for various reasons we could talk about, but what, what do we need to be about today to, yeah. to address that? Look, I, you've nailed, I think, the center of the book is that we live in an anxious age, and the anxiety is because of the rapid discontinuous change and the fact that we feel rootless. We don't know where, where we land. And the church has the opportunity to say to the world, we know where it's going. We've seen the 30,000-foot view God is bringing about a new creation one day. Um, Christians get anxious about things, but, I mean, Jesus says, you know, who by worrying can add a single day to his life? And you go, well, you know, no one except me. You know, um, <laughs> we always make ourselves the exception. Yeah. But it's not just that people are anxious. If you are personally anxious and you need to go and see a psychologist, you should. But there's a social, cultural anxiety about we don't know who we are, we don't know where we're going, we don't know what's right, we don't know what's wrong, and we don't know if tomorrow will all change again. And the church is going, in the midst of that chaos, we are actually saying we have a sure foundation and we can be the non-anxious presence. And I think that's a that's something, as a book by Mark Sayers, and a, a Melbourne pastor, Melbourne's a very secular city, probably the most secular in Australia and very progressive, uh, you think more like a Portland kind of setting. Hmm. And he's saying Christians can be the non-anxious presence in their settings, and that's going to say something to the culture that's very anxious. How you do your work in, a, in an anxious setting where you don't need to take praise for something you didn't do and you don't need to deflect blame for something you did do wrong, you don't have to be anxious about these things. You can just own who you are without having to you know, hide away from people or hide, or hide your flaws in that sense. 
You don't have to present. And that authenticity is going to come through to people. And the word authentic is used to the point of being fake, right? Mm -hmm. But the church can exhibit what it truly means to be an authentic community living together. I think that's critical in an anxious age. I really do. And and that's not to say that uh, believers aren't anxious. I mean, it, it, that, no, that anxiety is no. everywhere. It's in the church. It's in, in yeah. the culture. And look, it's, and that's what I'm, we're not looking for perfect communities this side of uh, the resurrection. We're saying, we're looking for people who say, I'm anxious, but I've got a place to cast my cares. And I cast my cares upon Jesus because he cares for me. I cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. So our culture is always looking for somewhere to cast its cares and it doesn't find it. And it's, it's restless. It's got this churn about it that I think when Christians don't have that churn, when they know where to cast their cares, other people looking in can go, there's something different about that. And I've seen that. I've experienced that during COVID where someone said to me, how come you Christians, hmm. you know, they weren't saying disparagingly, they were a lapsed Irish Catholic and there's no one as non-Christian as a lapsed <laughs> Irish Catholic, let me tell you. Um, and she said, I envy you Christians just the way you cope with things. And I thought, that's interesting. She used the word envy of the Christian community, <laughs> even though she comes from a background which is hostile to the church because of what has happened. She saw something different in our Christian communities. And I think that's critical, that we can cast our cares somewhere. And that frees us up to love and serve other people, not from what we can get out of them or how we can control them, but because we are liberated to do so by Jesus. I'm wondering, too, the, the aspect of w- what it means to be human. Uh, you have everything from artificial intelligence to the transgender movement and, and other things. C- can you talk about that? I mean, the, the, yeah, the yeah. church has the scriptures. Yeah. And look, everyone says, why do we keep talking about sex or identity or gender? Because they're on the table, right? They yeah. are on the table. There's no way around that. Mm-hmm. And, either, and what it is, the trans movement is saying, How about not this way of thinking what it means to be human, the biblical framework? How about this? How about not uh, meaning is given to you and you live it out, but how about we create meaning and we showcase that to the world? And part of the trans thing too is a dualism about the body and the the psyche, the the soul. Mm -hmm. And I think transgender is a stepping stone to transhuman. I think that we're looking at ways to do technology that will loose us from the surly bonds of this body, right? If the future is as bad as people say it is and the planet's going to destroy itself in the next 50 years and there's all of these people judging you by your appearance or your colour or your whatever or your gender, the best thing would be to be uploaded to a, you know, to a cloud mm-hmm. and live forever. And I want to say that's a very thin hope for the future, it doesn't, it doesn't inspire me. The, the Bible tells me that you're going to be bodily raised. The body matters. And so the body matters from creation, natural law, and it matters into new creation. And I think that's why these debates have to be had. What we think a human is, who we think a human is for, are absolutely critical questions in the culture. You can't escape them. You won't be able to bypass those questions, and they're going to get more hostile and the Christian view of what it means to be human is going to become very different with, in terms of end of life, start of life, we already see that, and what happens in the middle. I think Christians are going to stand very differently to the rest of the culture on this issue. So what do you believe we need to be doing now? I mean, as you said in your book, future-proofing 
uh, has, yeah. ha- is a process, but it has to start now. Yeah, well, I do think that we model um, what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and to hold that line and to in our families and in our lives with single people, with same-sex attracted Christians, with, with young people, with poor people, value who God has made us as humans, not worship our bodies, but to use them to serve uh, God and others. And I, I think we have to be very clear because a generation of younger people are struggling because they're going, I've just grown up in a time where anyone can be any pronoun they wish to be. Mm-hmm. We want to say, actually, words have to reflect reality. So I think the battles are still going to be held. I don't, I don't think we can hide away from some of the language battles and some of the identity battles. We need to do it carefully and without anger, but we need to be able to say the Christian way of looking at what it means to be a human has come apart from what the culture thinks. And that's probably our biggest grapple, is that for a while, for a long time, the West was vaguely Christianized in how it stood, understood what it meant to be human. Those two things have come apart. By 2054, it'll be a lot further apart. And we're going to have to model an alternate way to what the culture is doing. But bear in mind, there's lots of people who are secular who are going, this stuff's crazy. Give us some frameworks for thinking. And you're seeing a drift by major thinkers and players in the world of intellectual, you know, intellectual and political to say, actually, the Christian framework has got something sensible to say. I think that's going to ramp up. Well, the book is Future Proof, How to Live for Jesus in a Culture that Keeps on Changing. My guest is Stephen McAlpine. Uh, He is a writer and consultant for churches and Christian schools across Australia. He's uh, pastored churches, and uh, our our time is moving quickly, Steve, but I I wanted to ask you about a trend that's been noticed for years, both in Australia and the U.S., obviously in uh, the U.K., but that of um, the increasing um, numbers of people that have no religious affiliation, the nuns, if you will, N-O-N-E-S, and, and how that how that affects uh, the church's role in society or its acceptance of having any role in society. Can you talk about that, that, that rise of people that are um, kind of saying, I, I don't want anything to do with Christianity or, or, or anything that religious? Yeah. Well, I think there's the duns, which are, I'm done with it, and they're more hostile than the nuns. Uh, than N-O-N-E-S. Here's the issue. Because my generation, you know, uh, mid to late 50s, I have to confess, um, is more hostile towards the church because it's got an experience of it that it didn't like. But my daughter's generation at university have no clue. Hmm. Now, they they know that the church is probably, I don't agree with the church about sex or about gender or about trans, but they have no experience of what it would be like to go to church. And so I think... At the same time, they're deeply anxious and insecure, and many of them are crafting, and Tara Isabella Burton writes about this in her book um, called Strange Rites, New Religions for a Godless Age. They're kind of crafting together some sort of vague spirituality with different pieces, but it's not holding together strongly at the centre. And so many people are anxious and wondering, is there something more? And you're seeing a return to forms of Christianity by young people or that are crunchy Christianity, orthodoxy, you know, um, deep liturgy. Now, that may be style, it may be consumerism, but what you're finding is that people are genuinely curious. And Tim Keller, before he died, his last great essay in The Atlantic was he thought 
that Christianity would have a revival soon in America. Mm. And one of the reasons was, he said, you cannot keep going down this line of expressive individualism where the self is at focus without deconstructing you, without you feeling deeply anxious. And he said, there, there isn't a framework. And the nuns are genuinely so far from understanding what Christianity is that if you present it to them, it's something new. It's not something like, oh, I remember the 1950s when I had to wear itchy pants and sit in a pew and listen to a long sermon. They're not those people. So it will take a while. The tide has gone out, but there's a chance as all things happen. Tides come back in. And I, I think that could happen in the West in the next 30 years. I like what you say, and it goes to what you were just explaining here, that we're kind of at a point of, of paradox that as we go into the future to take note of that the Western culture has never been more hostile or more open to Christianity. Yeah. Well, look, I, I grew up in Australia when it was no one cared. And would you rather have no one care and complete disinterest, or would you rather have a situation where some people are hostile, but some people are open to hearing the gospel? Mm -hmm. Whereas when I grew up in the 80s, it was just lame to go to church, no one went, and they would out you at school as sort of the kind of slightly weak kid if you went to church. And now it feels like people go, you go to church, that's a bit odd. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'd rather it were hostile and open rather than just boredom or disinterest. I think that gives us opportunity. And beginning that future-proofing, talk about the, the importance of Christian community. I mean, after the pandemic, a lot of so many people yeah. kind of saw Christianity as well. It, it, I, I can kind of do it on my own uh, at home with the television, and maybe that worked for a while, but but in the long yeah, term, yeah, there was a lack of return, right? So, well, I think too. One of the issues we did is that we preached a gospel of individualism in our churches so often, implicitly, perhaps sometimes explicitly. But we have to rebuild Christian community in a way that says. I will put aside my self-interest for the sake of this other group of people, but that will create a deeper, richer, more meaningful group of people, and it will buffer us from isolation and the, the rapid winds of change that are blowing so many people away. I think pastors and leadership teams in churches need to say, how do we just gently dial up our community life mm -hmm. and how do we preach the gospel to people as a body, rather than just individual bodies, you know, here's six sermons on a better marriage or five sermons on a better health, you know, or, but say, what does it mean to be the body together and how do we function as that? Churches that don't do that will continue to drain away to technology and, you know, I, I'll sit in my Jimmy Jams and eat my biscuit, you know, or, or cookies or whatever it is and drink my coffee and have a good time personally with Jesus. It's the church that's the future. What would you want the person to take away? Take away from this conversation, take away from reading your book. Is it possible to kind of give a little bit yeah. of a synopsis? Yeah, I would say things change rapidly and they will change more rapidly over the next 30 years, given we're in a post-institutional, post-Christian framework. However, the gospel has stood the test of time through difficult times in the past. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees our hope and his call for us to lean into living in Christian community together under his headship will not fail us in this life, but will also be proven to be the right strategy in the age to come. So I think that's the confidence we can have. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Australian writer and former pastor Steve McAlpine, author of the new book, 
Future Proof, how to live for Jesus in a culture that keeps on changing. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People.